Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Featuring Aaron Castro in Arizona, Liam Poach in Boston, and Craig Gradelli in New York City. For those of you new to the podcast, each week the guys share news, views, and abuse from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union, along with information on the USA national team. With all that said, let's get on with the show. Hey, how's it going, Craig? Oh, you know, couldn't be better. Uh, yeah, not really much to talk about today. I'll see you guys in uh, 2023. All right. Yeah, I, I, man. I mean, I sent a note to some of the to, to some of the coaches and a couple of guys, and I'm like, you know, hey, uh, I mean, you're you're gonna see what I said publicly, and of course, like I am critical. I mean, there were things, there are things to be critical about. Uh, when it came to the performance of this World Cup, but at the end of the day, I know all we, we you and I, I think, and and Liam and and some others know the exact constraints that this team is has been under for forever. Uh, we we, I mean, I I stated that you know somehow some way we were able to afford at least a a tier one in length uh, camp. For this and it for the most part it, it it bore fruit in the pnc but yeah it didn't necessarily bear fruit in the world cup and part of that was because you know we had the the strongest pool of the world cup but there were other things which i think we'll get into but um yeah, it, it was pretty intense. Uh, I would say the, uh, about the rest of my weekend, I'm in, I'm in Central Texas. Uh, went to Baylor homecoming. Baylor 6-0. and um, So good for my um, my girlfriend's alma mater. Uh, University of Texas went down, though, to uh, Oklahoma. So Oh, yeah, that was good, too. That was, that was great. Uh, and then uh, VMI also won. So I have, I have no idea. Like when I was in college – uh, we did not have a winning season. I don't think at any point when I was in college, did our record like during the season was it ever a winning record? Like it was always a losing record. So anyone who ha- goes to a college where there's where football is like big and, and king, when your football team is good, there is something completely different about campus. Well, I never had that, so you know yeah. they they ha- they have that up here in Baylor, and it's it, it was it's kind of nice. Yeah, uh, not you know, non uh, rug related weekend was good for me too. I uh, had a nice night out with the wife. We went to a, she she surprised me with a high ropes course. Uh, oh, so my my nice. were babysitted. And, nice. Uh, yeah, we did some zip lining and uh, some balance death defying uh, stunts in the trees there. So it sounds like it sounds like pretty fun fun time. Yeah, yeah it good. It was very unique. She's a um, she's a very creative date planner. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I I'm kind of jealous. No, uh, I, I'm apparently my my girlfriend is. Uh, she has apparently what the heck? She has apparently um planned uh my birthday. And so that will be, that will be an interesting one. Um, so that, I got that coming up next month, but, uh, yeah, the non-rugby stuff was good. Uh, rugby stuff, uh, again, really just frustrating. Ah, uh, we did work in Uruguay and Canada now. Canada drew their way through the, uh, cancellation. Now we're the only MLR heavy side that had zero points. Oh my gosh, that I, well, uh, it, it kind of sucks about that and, and all the other Hunya, like, how do we leave this thing with, without points? We, and, and we, we'll get into some of, a, a, a ton of that, I think, but I, I kind of want to hit on uh, a lot of the, the MLR stuff that we had uh, over the past week or so. And then we'll really get into a deep dive of analysis for the 
for for I guess um I mean we we I don't really think we need to go into Argentina too much uh, because in a lot of ways if if anyone had read uh, well James I would say that the Eagles would have beaten the brakes off of Namibia. <laughs> to be honest, uh, Tonga's form, I will say Tonga's form, like if we charted the way the U.S. and Tonga played uh, in the first three rounds of pool play together, they their trajectory of going up and rounding out into form was like, if you looked at where they were at in the PNC, so the Eagles are up here, right? Tonga's down here. So Tonga, like each game, their trajectory went, so they're under – it went like this. This is great like podcasting. Straight, straight up. And then we just – we did we, – we were very, like, light on the improvement. Well, yeah, I would say Tonga is very inconsistent. I think that what we saw really was that the only thing that matters for them is the World Cup. Oh, they qualified. They're good. They're going to mail in the rest of their schedule, and they will peak during the World Cup, which they did. They, they peaked during the World Cup. Um, it's important to note that every single one of those players plays in a, a, a first division competition in Europe, whether that's in the Premiership or in France. Uh, we only have three guys playing in a first division competition. Uh, yeah, so T, we'll have, we'll have more next year uh, because Bryce Campbell's going up with, with London Irish and uh, – Maybe Ben Landry's going to Bath. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, it, so, yeah, I, I, I'm going to get into that. But let's try to get some of this MLR stuff out of the way. Take us uh, away. So, uh, Ross Dipperschmidt re-signed uh, with New Orleans. He was a an academy uh, guy that they brought in, uh, a senior academy guy that they signed to a – a senior squad contract last year. Good to see him come up. Uh, Houston has signed Rugby Northland U20 prop Boyd Wiggins uh, for the 2020 season. That's going to be very important for them. Um, Lock Cody Keys or Connor Keys, not Cody. I don't know why I said Cody, but uh, Cody rather, but Connor Keys, who was on the World Cup roster uh, for Canada, has signed with Atlanta. So they are signing a bunch of Canadians. What's I guess all the teams in the South like Canadians. All the Canadians like the teams in the South. <laughs> I would too if I had the more. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I guess Josh Larson is going to have a three-game suspension from his from the game against the Springboks. Uh, Murphy Teramai of the Arrows has actually signed for the Hurricanes in Super Rugby, so good for him. Yeah. Um, uh, th- this guy's name, this lock, he's a monster. Uh, Phil Terigno, the one of, I guess the, the U23 Academy coach and a forwards coach with Rooney, and he's the forwards coach of West Point, uh, said this about um, this guy. Uh, Florius Petrus. Great name. I, I joked with the, uh, with the Seattle media folks. It's like, if you're going to have a funny name, at least – be named like a Roman legionnaire because that's like it that that was that was great. FP Pelzer, um, he is play with the Greekus. He's apparently he's Filter Rigner says he's a monster. Uh, has had uh, probably the reason why he hadn't broken into super rugby, uh, was because he had some injury issues early in his career. But when he was down with the Greekus over the summer last year, that, that this kid can. It's kicking ball. And right when I was, uh, uh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. James, I gotcha. Good. Yeah. I didn't think Canada was going to beat Namibia. Either. Um, but, uh, yeah. So this guy is apparently really good. And right when I thought they needed a lock because Oppie, Oppie Nakatini, uh, signed, uh, with old glory. They, they, they just, this lock, they just went like, <sighs> This lock appeared out of thin air like magic. Um, and, uh, you know, um, if you're a free Jacks fan, buy your tickets. Those are those are out. Uh, I, I guess the biggest one uh, last week really 
Uh, we Digby Ioani, that wasn't the biggest one, uh, but a really good signing. Uh, Wallaby uh, was playing in the top league this last year, has signed with uh, Glendale, so that's a good one. But the biggest one, um, what, what was the biggest signing this week? Oh, uh, perhaps uh, certain All Black going to the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, Manonu. Ma that was uh, that's something. Like, and the, the crazy thing about that is, was wow. he was in contention to make this at least the rugby championship squad. His form, like he was ready. Like he, if you go on to the All Blacks YouTube channel. They have a bunch of different highlight packages uh, from him. Like he is he now he, the most, uh, you know, greatest successful career joining in the MLR. You know, the most accomplished, I should say. Well, he's uh, he's the most accomplished multi multi World Cup winner. Um, still in shape, like Mills Mulaina when he signed with Pro. Although he was a Centurion All Black, he was. Like he'd been out of rugby a little bit. He was battling injuries and he had just, he, he was going to play with life West. So he could get his uh, doctor and chiropractic degree. And then, you know, pro signed him, uh, you know, cause he was already out there, but it, he was like done. Whereas this guy had a renaissance of a season in super rugby. So this is probably, I mean, this, that back line for San Diego, is, I, <laughs> I mean, if you thought it was good last year. Yeah, what I mean, I, I obviously there's a lot of time and there's still going to be more signings for other teams. Um, but, man, uh, right now if I'm a defense coach, I just don't know what I'm doing about game planning for San Diego. Yeah, because uh, I just think about it, uh, you know, 9 to 15, uh, Nate Augsburger, Joe Peterson, uh, let's go Savanaka or Totovasua, Fosau. Um, then you've got, Ma, let's say, Manonu. And then uh, you've got JP Duplessis. And then on the right wing, we're going to go Ryan Matias or and uh, fullback Teo. Like, what? Yeah, you have Dylan Audsley in the bed. Dylan, and then you got Dylan Audsley. Like, there's like. Nine through fifteen. I, I think the only question about them is like who, because I think I'm pretty sure they brought in another halfback. So who's gonna outside? So get them some nine depth, and then, but yeah, it's it's going to be a scary season if you're playing um San Diego this year. Uh, the it's not on my list, but the um, Old Glory DC. Uh, just signed a commercial office officer uh, to join their front office staff. So that's going to be pretty big. Uh, he'll come in under Jimmy Kadihi, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, it's it's uh, the business of uh, MLR continues to to keep coming. Um, Brock Staller uh, signed, re-signed with Seattle. The and then you've had uh, uh, Will McGee has chosen to go back home, I guess. Uh, we're, we're the land, the United States is the land of his fathers and mothers, really, because his, his dad's from Boston and his mom's from Pennsylvania. And so, uh, but, uh, you know, um, as a, an American raised in London, he's he's going home. Um, he is an, an Ealing boy, but he's going to play for London Scottish. So uh, I, I think he's going to be able to get a chance to, to play a lot, whereas he was sort of embattled, uh, became embattled in, in, in Glendale for, for whatever reason. Um, yeah. He needed you know, a change. Hey, yeah. I think this would be great for him. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's done great things for the USA. This is a great opportunity. So I'm, ha I'm happy for him. And then the, the weirdest thing I, I saw this week is uh, D1A's regulations are finally on their website. So if you're a college player and you're looking to play MLR, uh, read those. If you're a prospective high school student and you're being recruited to play rugby, which is knocking on your door for a major <laughs> collegiate rugby is kind of the wild west when it comes to, you know, how like 
like there are no contact periods. Like the <laughs> coach can call you whenever and you can talk to a coach whenever you want. But uh, like there are, it is pretty close to being NCAA. Like it's not, their limited regulations are very, the breadth of them is very significant on what, what, what could kill your eligibility. And this is a club sport. Like, okay. I I mean, I get the point. I, I get the point, but at the end of the day, we should, since men's rugby is likely never going to go NCAA in college, we need to align holistically MLR teams need to link in locally, throw in some resources, make this a holistic development system so that we can, A, getting getting more guys playing better rugby more often. And also, if a guy's ready, if he wants to play for college, let's let's make it so that an academy system with an MLR team doesn't kill his eligibility. I mean, there's a difference between playing first team rugby and playing a summer series wearing a jersey where he's paying for everything and somehow being declared ineligible, which happened last year. So multiple times. Um, but yeah, so, so that's sort of it. Uh, when it comes to, uh, I normally try to dig in on the stats in world rugby has been very good. If, if, if anyone's following, go to rugbyworldcup.com slash matches, and you can go look at these things. The, I would say working with MLR, uh, this is the uh, template for the MLR app. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I would say the stats are very similar in what World Rugby is able to do, except that World Rugby probably has every single stat uh, analyst company that works in rugby has been hired to work on this engine because I was talking to some super rugby folks and some and the western force and they send all their film off and they don't get an analytical breakdown until 24 hours after the game so that's you know what we deal with in in major league rugby when it comes to statistics reports is 24 hours after the game is when we get the full breakdown but this was in real time so this was like pretty pretty close um when it when it comes to this game uh Craig, what do you think, man? So if you uh, didn't have the unfortunate experience to see it, the USA lost since our last recording both to Argentina and to Tonga, but as of early this morning, Eastern time, to Tonga. Um, I think it's disappointing. I think, you know, we all talked a lot about what would be success in this World Cup. Uh, I don't think we could say we – found success as a team. I think we showed glimpses and, you know, whatever that's worth. I mean, everyone probably showed glimpses. I'm sure Namibia is going home saying they showed glimpses. Um, But we really did show glimpses that I thought were great. I thought there were 20 minutes against Argentina where we were the better team. Um, I'm actually not sure there was any point against Tonga where we were the better team, but uh, we at least had some phases where we showed what we could do if we attack with the ball in hand instead of kicking away uh, after every three or four phases. Um, So, you know, I think there's certainly a lot to build on. The first thing is the heart uh, effort of this team and the coaching staff. I think they seem to be, as far as I can tell, really bought into the system, bought into Gary gold, bought into each other. Uh, And so the outcomes may not have met with that, but um, you know, it came through to me as sincere. And I think that will be, the most important thing now as you look to the next four-year cycle as a starting place to build. Uh, yeah. Uh, looking at the World Cup and the Eagles leaving and and what our campaign looked like, it was not a disaster, but it wasn't a success. Um, the people out there, and I'm seeing it all over, all over the internet, because um, apparently American Rugby Twitter is now alive and pissed off. And it's, you know, where were you guys three years ago? Uh, four years, two years ago, last year. I mean, I need you guys to be engaged so that we can just, you know, all the time, you know, not, not just once every four years. But seeing the, the opinions that what, what hurt, I wouldn't, it doesn't hurt me, hurt me, it does annoy me. Seeing the opinions of we we have taken a step back. We have 
it was a disaster. It was a it was a mockery. It was a travesty mockery. Or so that was one of the words by one of my roommates came up with uh, in college: travesty, sham, and a mockery. Uh, it it wasn't any of those things. It was it, and it wasn't a, an unmitigated disaster. But it was not a successful campaign. The Pacific Nations Cup was a successful campaign, yeah. um, and we did not build upon that. Now, as like you said, we had in three games, especially against France, I think, and for against Argentina. There were about 20 to 30 minutes in each game where it said we we belonged here. Um, and I, I would say more so in the Argentina game, the game went long enough to where we were physically still in the game for a very long time. Like we physically wanted to be there and we're still the effort was still there. I think in the France game, our fitness failed us and it wasn't that we didn't want to be there. It was just that they put on their starting front line. Like they put on their f- starting tight five in at minute 60 and they, well, minute like 55 and in 10 minutes, our, fr- our starters and backups were gassed. And that's just, and this is where uh, if you, if anyone wants to follow an analytical mind, uh, out there that uh, has coached at a high level in the U.S., uh, go look at Pete Steinberg's uh, Twitter follow uh, and follow, just read his stuff, and he talks about this. And it's like he's a very process-oriented guy, and he and I work together, and I'm an, I'm a, I'm an outcomes-oriented guy. Uh, it's just – I think that's an Army kind of – even though in the Army – like, you know this, Craig, because we, we, we served in the same unit, like in a different period of time. But uh, like the, the Army is a very process-oriented place, but outcomes is everything. Outcomes are the only thing that matters. <laughs> and it sort yeah. of feels like that. No one ever says who had the better processes, processes in the war. Yeah. The war. Yeah. So it was like, uh, and he, he's, he's a process guy and he talks about process and he looks at uh, all of this stuff for the Eagles and especially the World Cup. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult for me to sit here and say, you know, Am I unpleased? Because I'm not. I, I think. But I did say that, you know, if we somehow looked competent in four games, but we lost all four games, it would you could call it a successful campaign, but we didn't look competent in all four games. We got the brakes beat off of us by England and and Gary even said we didn't look credible. I think in I think in two games, we looked very credible. I think uh, you know, even in this game, we looked very credible, but everything that came out in the Argentina game also came out in this one. Uh, when it came to our game plan, I, I, I saw what they were trying to do when it came to dueling kicks and getting it in the right part of the field. And that's what happens when you when the back line you're kicking it to is less skillful than you. And it worked a few times. The problem was, is our set piece, like it has been all tournament, was still a mess. Our lineout, our mall was a mess. And that's a problem that we need to address now. <laughs> well, there is no ARC, as, as far as I know. If, if there is an ARC in the winter, then that means everyone, uh, you don't have that long to sulk uh, because uh, there will be an assembly in January. <laughs> yeah. but uh, I'm tracking you'll be in the fall I mean in 2018 which I think is the Eagles best year in yeah. history you know Nick Savetta Cam Dolan line out was a huge asset it was yeah. formidable it was not only did we win our own we were disrupting Scotland you know, we, everyone yeah. had trouble in the line out against us since Savetta's injury in the PNC I don't know if it's because could just be coincidence, but since that injury, it has been a shambles. I mean, yeah. we lost any you know intimidation factor of our lineout. Now you just hope that you even retain your own, which you know, I see I see these great stats on here. I and I'm not 
keeping track at home specifically, but I should because I think we lose more than the World Rugby app says we do. But regardless, we definitely lose the critical ones. Like every it says, time- so it says here we lost only two. My eyes There's tell no me way. we lost like five. It's like they cap it at two. Once you hit two, they stop counting lost lineouts because they don't want you <laughs> to play them. Um, yeah, but it, whatever it was, if it's only two, which I'm skeptical, it was definitely like the two most critical lineouts. You know, we're got a penalty, huge momentum shift. We're inside, you know, they're 10 meters, you know, 10 meters for the try line, and we throw the line out of the way. But uh, I mean, even so, that's that's just maybe like that's them being stolen, but. I will say, like, successful set-piece conversion from the lineout into a mall or even, like, just getting it out was where we had a lot of problems. In this. And when, you, when you're trying to play the tactical territory game, you can't have that happen. I, I did think that Tonga was getting away with uh, a lot in the mall defense. Um, oh, my gosh. So, you know, I, I, I'm a little sympathetic to, to Mighty Joe. Uh, I felt like they collapsed. They were off size, in from the side. I, I felt like they were they were getting a lot of leeway to defend that mall. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just – if we did bring it down, we then turned the mall over. So, it was pretty – Losing – and I still don't know why because this hasn't come out. I need – I maybe – I haven't listened to the post-match uh, press conference – uh, that is up on World Rugby's YouTube page. But I don't know what happened to Blaine Scully and Eric Fry uh, at minute 18 because they went off at the same time. And that, I think, although was a huge turning point in general, although it did lead to some electric scores from Mikey Teo. Yeah. The, the loss of Fry and forcing Ali Khalifi to go 62 minutes uh, and, and that sort of, I think we've our front, our, our starting loose head in Eric Fry, uh, in the has not been able to take as much of the load, uh, in the three games that, uh, he needed to take against, uh, you know, France, Argentina, and Tonga. And it forced Ollie in, uh, against, you know, uh, for the most part, our two are the two loose heads that played the most had played the least in 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 competition before the PNC and during the PNC. So, yeah. so I think that's a problem. Like neither of them were really match fit to deal with this at this level. Uh, so I, you know, I do have I, I've said we do have some selection questions, mostly at the loose head. Um, I love David Ainu starting. It's a real shame that he went off so quickly. Yeah, he, man. That, every game, that would have been it, great. Especially you know, got, his, got his World Cup cap. I'm happy for that. Kind of annoyed that Chance didn't get the shot here because he was fresh, you know? And after two really tough games against France and Argentina, maybe maybe you needed him. And, so, and We got so much action under Gary Gold before this. So uh, what happened, but, but I guess with the way this game went is it was so sloppy. It was raining. It, so this was like one of those weird days in the South where it's sunny and it's raining a lot because it's just so humid. And they were sweating their balls off. It was nasty. And so it was so sloppy. Both teams both teams were awful for a very long time. Uh, we scored uh, in some electric fashion thanks to Mikey Teo. Mikey, Mikey's game I, – I, I thought Mikey's game was pretty good. Uh, yeah. He showed that he could pass. Like, he wasn't really in position to pass in the other two games, or he just wasn't passing. His kicks were okay, and he was committed to making the game line. And, I really, and you know, he, he, of course, scored and was very smart with his placement of the ball both times. Uh, the, the second time, he wasn't as lucky. Uh, to where he could place the ball to give Aj a good kick. Um, But in this game when we had so much luck with the ball in hand, and we were good, and we've been good with the ball in hand against France and and Argentina and in this game, the difference between this game and those two games where we were making the game line and just kicking the ball away 
we would make the game line and then we just would get no luck at the breakdown. Um, either we would outrun our support. Uh, there was a few times that Greg Peterson, Nick Savetta, and there were, there were other, like there was like eight guys that outran support and turned over the ball because they didn't cheat a little bit. And I'm not saying alligator rolling to present the ball buys you time. And they, they talk about that. They, these guys are experts, so I can't really criticize. It was the fact that the Tonga defense was right there and their support wasn't there to, to end the breakdown um, and, and retain possession. And, And that was, that was a major problem. The most frustrating thing to me in this whole game, and this is probably of the whole tournament, you could say, was our proclivity to kick the ball away, either you know, just in general of a few phases been run, or even more so when we're getting attacking momentum. And I think it's never it was never as bad as it was in the England test, but we had that problem every week and then or every uh, fixture. And then against Tonga, we finally held the ball for like 20 phases. And we were doing great. And we marched all the way within the five-meter line again. And then Savetta got stripped on the way down. They quickly transitioned, kicked it, chased it down, scored a try, then broke our back. So it was like, I this, want – That happened twice. That happened twice where we ran like uh, – I think the Knicks, it was like 21, 22 phases. And I forget the other one because it was on the near side. And I just – it. That's going to break you. Yeah. It's going to break you as a team where you just – you're committed to, like, playing hard and you run 18 phases and then you're three meters off and yeah. it, they just steal the ball in loose play and just jet and score. But that was a, that was the thing that showed you – to me, that even though they had scored at the end of it, Tonga scored, that was the best USA played – against Tonga because it showed if we don't just kick it for like a one in 10 low probability attacking chance um, and we just hold the ball, Tonga couldn't defend it. You know, we were marching up the field almost. I mean, I don't think they stopped. Yeah. We failed to get the game line one time in those 20 phases. I mean, we were very easily moving the ball forward. And then you sit there and go, why are we not doing this all the time? Like if we're in their half of the field and we're gaining the and we're making the game line on our runs. Why are we kicking? And I get like some teams kick very well, and there's obviously a, a strategy to tactical kicking and a kicking for to make attacking chances. But like we've been trying that, and it's not working. Uh, this is working, and I just my biggest question kind of this whole World Cup is why were we so eager to kick all the time when you know yeah. every time we won the ball we had a decent amount of success. Yeah, it was it was that that was the most frustrating thing for me. Uh was just we did there were some adjustments in this game. Um Odge didn't kick the ball in play once where there wasn't a, ch- a reasonable chance uh for a chase down. Um we were better in general when we did kick the ball in play about our chase down. Um there was a weird one where it was kind of bang, bang. Ruben picked up the ball, kicked it deep, and complete like had the tackle, but didn't hold on. Like he just yeah. he got it wrapped and like flew around the guy <laughs> and was shooken off. And then that guy, then he goes twenty meters up up the field, and it was. I think Bryce Campbell also had a, a kick that I thought was poorly. Uh, a poor decision, like where he yeah. tried to uh, grubber it forward. When yeah, he, that was pretty. Rough. He was about to have an overload. Bryce, so don't kick much. By down, but if you had held it, we would have had a two-on-one, and we brought yeah, we would have been a try or a great platform for the next phase. Bryce, Bryce don't kick that much. It's to to give you guys some some idea of the difference uh, on this. So, so Tonga had double the print clean breaks. We had well more than double that it's seven to 15. Then you go to defenders beaten 20 to 43. And this is, this is where that probably helps is they had 16 offloads to our seven. Um, and they're good at that. I mean, t- Tonga offloads, keeps the ball alive. Very yeah. well. They're oh, yeah. tremendous athletes. Uh, and they have great instincts for that sort of play. So, I mean, that's what they do. That's Tonga's strength, and they took it to the U.S. in that department. 
We one of the things that I talked about during the PNC was our defensive intensity and how much that had changed. And uh, credit to the strength coach Hugh Bevan and defense coach uh, Jacques Forey. But in the last two games, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can't miss forty three tackles. Uh, they, so just to give everyone an idea, uh, Tonga had uh, made one hundred forty eight, missed twenty. So we missed more than double. We. When, if you are forced to attempt close to 200 tackles, you're probably losing your game very badly. Uh, they, we, the Eagles made 151 tackles, missed 43. Um, they, and then the tur- when it when you look at turnovers, one. Uh, the they won fifteen turnovers in our half. We only won ten yeah. in their half. So they, I mean, we got beat. Don't get me wrong. Um, it, it was just it, in it was just so similar to that Argentina game, except the difference was is our instead of being so much better than us, because Argentina was a class above us. We were just in it. I think very much so that we were even with Tonga, like athletically, skill-wise, we just went out there and stunk it up. On short rest, which, which, you know, I I was obviously a very big advocate of going forward against Argentina. Still glad. It's your fault. It's it's your fault. We we, we rested no one. We could have had a repeat of um, South Africa in 2015 where where when asked, uh, Aj McGinty, would would have no would have no idea what playing against South Africa is like because he was in his hotel room as a deactivated player, uh, I, yeah. you know. But yeah, I that's the dice roll you took. I mean that that was the risk you took by by going for it against Argentina, and you know we got that was. Uh, I mean that's been my philosophy, knowing how much of a selection that Gary has done over time the PNC was the first time he really rotated players and it, and it worked. And then we didn't rotate players that much this time. And I'm not sure if you rotated players, it would have been any different. I, yeah, at least positively, I, if you rotated players, it might've been worse in, in the France and Argentina games uh, compared yeah. to comparatively, like it might've been a, a much worse campaign if we had done that. Uh, but everyone except chance Wengleski was an injury call up uh played yeah uh, so, get on get on yes he played five minutes against france nice very good. so so 30 the the of the original 31 players uh everyone received a world cup cap which is normally the intent is players 29 30 and 31 are guys that need to be really good they need to be good culture guys uh, because they likely won't play so that if somebody does get injured, they need to be value added immediately. Um, and well, we had to use all of our guys because we had a red card, of course. Um, and speaking of Malon, um, Malon had a great game, like yeah. defensively, there was some uh, attacking stuff where I was like, Eesh, but defensively, uh, defensively, he like. It is yeah. like he, he had a great game. The first, like three minutes of his first uh, World Cup start. So, uh, like, you know, twelve tackles uh, for for Maylon, uh in this one. It was the so he came into this game basically cold, uh, and he started. Good for him. I uh, can't really like take anything away from him. Like, like he had a game. Um, Ruben de Haas too. I think really came into his own. This yeah, time. yeah. I I think we I, we we kind of knew about Ruben last summer and a little bit in the autumn and a little bit in the ARC. And you know he's been continuously selected. I didn't know that he had so many caps until like I look at the list and I'm like, I see have twelve caps. Um, and uh, I thought Ruben has played had a great tournament. Um, for for such a young guy, he 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 went out and 
Like he proved like he, I would say he showed why he was there. Yeah. Um, and for a position, I think it was very uncertain who the first choice was for the Eagles coming in. I think, I think he's really grabbed that uh, shirt in my, in my opinion, it's his to lose at this point. Yeah. I, I, I when looking at Sean Davies and Nate Augsburger, who've been great players for the Eagles in the past, I think, uh, over time, uh, both of them will, because they're both older. Uh, let me get this correct. Uh, <laughs> well, you look that up, I'll add that DeHaz is an absolute missile of a leg. You know, the oh. guy doesn't like the kicks, but he has an absolute laser. Oh my gosh. So, so Sean Davies have basically, and he and Nate Osmer are competing against each other for a very long time. Uh, for, for the starting scrum half role. Uh, Nate is 29 and Sean is 30 um, and will be 31 in June. So it's uh, like these, when it comes to, you, you want to have a relatively, relatively youthful amount of people. Like our, our side has never been young ever. Like in a world cup, it's always been older players. Like that's just how it has turned out. And it's if you look at the rosters, I'm gonna I'm gonna put out a piece because I did some research based on World Cups and then based on like how we haven't progressed. Uh, and the average players used from the last coach's last two games versus the last two games of the next coach is very interesting. And most of the reason behind that is we haven't had a pro league for almost three decades and now we do have pro league. So that should change significantly. Like there should be a very consistent player pool because of major league rugby. But I want to say the average of players retained from coach to coach, it was like six. Like, no. So yeah, uh, it was, uh, you know, so for you, who's your player of the tournament for the Eagles? Um, I would have to say Tony Lamborn, but Ruben DeHaas would probably be my number two. You, you're mean, man. That was yeah. Tony Lamborn's my pick. Player of the tournament, amazing. Uh, Ruben DeHaas had a great game against Tonga, uh, another top player for us. And the Tony Lamborn and this player, Marcel Brocky. Yeah, they're, they're probably both not going to be around in four years. They're both Rocky's <laughs> best plays against Tonga came while Tonga had advantage. So he didn't get to actually. Oh, that was such bullshit. <laughs> I was like, oh, I hate you, Nigel. Uh, yeah, what a great uh, grab of that ball up. What advantage going back? All right. So I, I think, you know, we, we have a bunch of guys on this squad, just like the last one that uh, eventually will retire. I just don't think they they're going to, I don't think a bunch of these guys were going to retire in Moss to where if we had a tournament in February, we would be capping 16 guys the first game. No, of course. Which is what, which is what happened for like John Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> you had like, like 20 guys retired. 10 guys took themselves out of availability and he had to cap like six, 16 new people. I think he capped in the first year. So in the first year he capped 42 players because a bunch of people retired. And I think he cats his total caps. Eventually it was like 48, which is insane. But well, the idea was, I mean, the, America. the idea was, well, we were going to have fitness standards. And if you can't pass the fitness test, Day one, which is the same, which is the same thing under Gary. Day one's, you know, just like the army, it's in processing. Oh, you can't pass the APFT. Oh, sucks to be you, Lieutenant. <laughs> but basically, yeah, like we have fit, we have high fitness standards now that didn't exist previously, especially now that we're in a pro. We have MLR. Like to try and get to the point of wrapping this up. Uh, a lot of people are saying, you know, the resources for this team, the size of the staff, and like I said, people that uh, we need to educate more. Uh, I will say the only full-time coach on this staff is Gary Gold. Uh Jacques Foury is on a short-term contract funded by World Rugby. Uh, yes, he's sort of been full-time, but he didn't get here till the end of the ARC. 
I was like, he was a defense coach for like two ARC games, but it like he couldn't install anything. And Scott Lawrence, the previous defense coach who worked for Oracle um, while he was the Eagles defense coach, uh, had been hired by Atlanta. So they were just kind of like utilizing the systems that were in place, game planning off those but they didn't have a, a specific, a specialist defense coach. This, you know, I talked about, you know, our defense being better and in this tournament, it kind of failed us a bit. Uh, but the problem is with that, with everything, if you don't have full-time coaches for your national team, like all the tier ones do, they can't consistently check on players and provide individual, uh, development during the season when they're with their club. Yeah. No, I'll say, I think, you know, it's hard to, I find conflicting. I'm internally conflicted about what to think about the USA's defensive performance. I think in, you know, straight up phase play, regular way defense, the USA is better now than I've ever seen them. I mean, they're, not get, you know giving up line breaks with little offload. I mean they're they're very good now at rotating and, and containing that. Their defensive failings in this tournament seem to always come in you know atypical or less common scenarios like transition or kick chase or very specific points of the game where defense has to do something different. And I think to their credit, between England and Tonga, you could actually see them learning. I mean, they were, you know, if there were five areas of the game against England where England was just running rampant over us, like the mall, for example, um, by France, two of those five had been locked up. And by Argentina, you know, three had been locked up. And by Tonga, four had been locked up. And, you know, there's still that one, and we're still getting gashed. This case, to me, it was kick chase against Tonga. Um, yeah. But I, I think the, you know, even in 2018, before uh, we got the defense coach, I think think about that Ireland uh, fixture when they came here in November, or we went to Ireland in November. Yeah, more just blowing through us. Even in phase play, every few phases, I think we really locked that down. So I think there is actually a lot of progress on the defensive side. It's just it hasn't spread to every specific type of defense yet. Uh, but I did it did look like we we're learning so uh i think that yeah. Was yeah i think you know when when we look at the kpis if i had the kpi sheet which i didn't develop a kpi sheet but i know gary like the high performance like they they developed a list of kpis they wanted to meet for the world cup probably didn't meet all of them. probably didn't meet a lot of them. um but i think they met a lot of them too because if you look at like just where we performed and who we performed against we made progress. We made progress. If there was there a KPI for kicks from hand, we definitely Yeah, yeah. We, we failed that one. <laughs> or maybe we exceeded expectations yeah. because of the number of kicks from hand. But I, we, I think for anyone who says that the U.S. is behind where we were in 2015, they have a specific agenda. Um, because we are ahead as a team, as a culture, like with, if you look, if you examine all the problems that 2015 team had, this team is so far ahead and so different and it is a good team. Yeah. Um, they can go out and compete and win pretty much against any tier two team. And like they will get a win, uh, against a tier one. Um, they can go out and put up a relatively respectable performance. Whereas in 2015, we, we couldn't, yeah, you, you know, I could feel like I can pretty confidently say that the 2019 Eagles would beat the 2015 Eagles if they played them. But I think there's a little more to it that we have to think about, which I'm not, I don't have a settled opinion on, but Okay, so we're better than we were in 2015, but everyone's better than they were in 2015. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, to think about it, okay, so we got the ARC immediately after. Cool, that helps, more regular fixtures. But we had basically an amateur system for two of those years. Yeah, Pro existed for like five weeks or whatever it was, 
And, you know, and then we had a, a truncated season in MLR's first year. So mostly amateur system uh, during that period, during the, I guess, the 17-18 season uh, for internationals. And then uh, you, we, we basically only had one full season of MLR. And that's sort of where we go. So I, I don't know, maybe I'm bringing the, the ceiling down a bit or I'm managing my own expectations. Well, I, I did say this over a year ago when MLR started and we started to play well in 2018 uh, with for the Eagles when we were on that streak. I said, you know, it, it, 2019 is not how you judge this whole thing. Be and I, I had a tweet thread about it today that it's really hard to you know go after Gary and say you know this this coaching staff is awful and like all these decisions were awful. This this team went through a coaching change in the mid, middle of the World Cup buildup, yeah. like in the middle of the cycle, complete coaching staff turnover. Because I mean, for whatever reason, John Mitchell he left to go you know coach with the Bulls. Um, and we then had to figure it out and we found a coach after we qualified after John Mitchell, you know, did qualify us as America's one, which is something we'd never done. So we'd never done that. And, you know, then we found a coach that could carry the torch and lead us further forward because we, we are in a better place than we were in 2017. But I think when we talk about major league rugby, uh, it's I want to see a consistent approach with the national team for more than one cycle. And we didn't, we we've had, we didn't have a consistent approach for one cycle here, like judging it. Cause Gary's only been the coach for, uh, I think it's like 22 fixtures. Uh, if you include the world cup fixtures, I, I, I need to do the math, but I think that's about correct. It's 23. Uh, but Whereas I, I want to see a consistent structure with the backup that you get with uh, Major League Rugby, which is, you know, the next four years, it'll only just incrementally be getting more professional as the salary cap uh, go gets gets higher. And what's interesting is that on the defensive side, some of the teams don't have full-time defense coaches. So Jock Forey said that with some of the players, they basically had to start from, from the ground up on, def- on the defensive side which is interesting. So, um, yeah, like I said, was it disappointing? Yeah. Uh, are we in a better place in 2015? Have we made progress? Yes. How do you compete against a tier one nation where Eddie Jones has a 10 million pound budget every year? Not a world. That's not a world cup year. And then in a world cup year, he has like almost an unlimited budget to take his team for training camps and do whatever he wants. Uh, that gets a little bit, more difficult. Well, look, we're we're a long way from competing with England, but let me ask you this question: We're better. Uh, I, let's agree, we're better until we were in 2015. Are have we improved more than the average tier one nation has improved in that time? Like, are we closer to being on par with an average, you know, middle of the pack? Because I think it's middle of the pack with like France. Like, I, obviously, like all blacks. Let's not. Try to I think we're we're we we've we've proven that we could compete with the the seven the eight nine ten the the back of the, I think we can like back of the pack tier one we are this team is physically there because I I, I bet you if we got freaking Japan's pool it would have looked different like I'm not saying Japan had an easy road but they had a weak pool. Holy, I, I and that's more because Ireland fell off. Yeah, like they, like they, they peaked early. And Japan has played great. So yeah, and and, and Japan peaked on right on time. You know, that's that's. I I just think if our pool was different, our results would be a little bit different. Um, just based on the fact that we've won some games against some of these other teams recently, uh, but. I think we're we're we can compete, and given on any given Sunday, we might be able to get a win against uh, an eight, nine, ten. Where it gets a little dicey is the you know the four through seven, and then I think the one through three 
Well, we saw the one through three where we played England. That, you know, we, we saw that. We, against the second best team in the world, they hit us in the mouth and kept hitting us in the mouth, and we had no answer. Argentina's going to haunt me. That was so set up for us to win. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that, that was – yeah, we let that one get by. But uh, when it comes to this team, man, culturally – Drive, pride, effort, coaching staff, and yeah, I, I'm I'm behind them. Like, you, how can you not be? They're great people. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be. There are some great Eagles that will move on before the next World Cup. Uh, that if our system was different, we would be able to generate some centurions. Uh, but I think uh, you know a lot of guys. Some of these guys will move on, and and. You, they need to move on because we need to unearth. They they need to be forced out by a younger, better player, like because that shows he- a healthy system. Yep. I mean, I look. We didn't win any, uh, so we sort of looked to twenty twenty three. But I did enjoy watching uh, the guys play together. Uh, they did seem to again have a sincere you know, love internally for each other uh, and for their whole system. So uh, I think that shone through and I appreciated that and uh, respect every one of them. And unfortunately it didn't work out uh, the Eagles way this time, but obviously still back in the Eagles. We do, I did ask for questions. So we did get some questions in. Let me check right. Facebook. Uh, we got two questions on, on what's my on let me see if there's any on Facebook. I didn't see any come through Facebook earlier. Um, there's that one. No. I didn't, so nothing on Facebook right now, although a bunch of likes. So thanks thanks for the likes, guys, uh, I got to say. Uh, but moving, moving on to Twitter, I, I think I know what the answer is. Uh, aside from the obvious, should Gary Gold uh, keep his job or should he be let go? Well, I know that he doesn't have a contract right now. So <laughs> the answer is if I if I was in charge, he would have a four-year contract on his desk when he returns from the World Cup. Or no, no, even no, I would before he could fly, get on the plane, if I'm in charge, I'm flying, or if I'm there, if I'm the CEO of USA rugby, I'm saying, hey Gary, um, Here's your contract. Um, look forward to seeing you in two months. Take some time off. Like that's that's what I would say because I think, like I said, we have made the progress. This guy truly gives a crap about American rugby. He goes, he travels. Although he hasn't fully moved here, based on you, I, how often I see him around and how where he like he goes to college games. He goes to MLR games. He lives here basically eight out of 12 months. So basically he does live here. Um, and I, I, I guess I got, you know, you got to let the guy have, you know, a couple months off a, a year and, and recharge the batteries. So I, I've got no, I've got no, um, nothing there to really say, Hey, no. Um, and then the other question was, uh, from Life Love, also from Life Love Rugby, was when will MLR stop ex- the rat this rapid expansion? Because um, it will hurt the league. I, I mean, uh, I mean, two expansion teams made the playoffs this year. Yeah, so uh, I think we have a while to go before there's some evidence that expansion is hurting the league. Not to mention that expansion brings in. A big cash uh, infusion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, expansion will stop the moment an expansion team owner doesn't want to front the rapidly rising buy-in. Right. You know? so, I mean, maybe it'll be this year. We'll see that the you know the new teams can't compete. I, I you know, seeing on the season that doesn't be in the cards. I mean, at least Atlanta and New England look like they'll be competitive as expansion teams this year. Uh, there's a lot of the country that's untapped that has r- club rugby players. Uh, so I, I'm not, I, I've seen nothing to believe that we need to 
forcefully hit the brakes on expansion. I think yeah. when, there's not, when there's nothing to expand, they'll stop putting up the expansion fee. And Based on the current level of competition, I think there are enough players coming through in college uh, to fill out the roster of a few more of these teams. Like, Because basically, you ex- when you expand, you have an expansion draft that occurred. So you had a bunch of te- players from teams around the league move to the newbies. And so they're going to have experienced MLR players, some with multiple seasons. Uh, you're going to bring in experienced foreign players, and you're already seeing that. Uh, the the le- I don't think the level of competition is going to drop. Uh, but at some point, the when you're trying to move the level of play at a faster rate than the collegiate game, which the collegiate game I don't think is re- built – long-term to fully develop. And I think it's important that the whole collegiate game does get built to further develop American rugby athletes, because, you know, given the limited capital right now with building MLR academies, the MLR Academy stuff is going to be a slow process. And this is where I talk about holistic alignment with local college rugby with the MLR team. So that development of players and everything just, you know, it's all copacetic. But um, yeah, um, expansion will will stop when people don't want to front millions of dollars. Uh, I, I, we're in a good place. I, I think we're gonna we're gonna hit a pause very shortly, just because you need to, and not necessarily because there isn't any money. I think you'll be able to sell a license, but then at a certain point, the teams will be so much further commercially that the new team needs to get their feet under themselves commercially more so than competitively because you can figure you can figure that out competitively it's about selling tickets and putting bums and seats that becomes a, a different you know the commercial aspect um uh and then from adam machinsky adam's actually a friend of mine uh it's like do our your this was an interesting question i think very valid do our european starters struggle for get full game fitness because not many of them are full-time starters overseas. I think that would be a valid question maybe a year ago. <laughs> I feel like who are our full-time Europeans now? I mean, Tito. Um, so Taylor Mosatelli, so Aj McGinty, who starts for sale. So I don't, that, not for him, not a question. Tito Mosatelli now starts for Saracens. So, but I think this is the problem when it came to those guys. Uh, other than Greg Peterson, uh, T, Joe Tafete, Eric Fry all had big injuries this year. I think that was the the big thing because they didn't get they didn't they didn't build their match fitness through the PNC. They didn't get that chance that you know it, it severely hurt them in in the world cup that's that's what i think um that said i think there may be something to you know put money aside for a second you know some of these guys may be better off rugby you know long-term rugby playing every day in an mlr setting than you know being a you know sometimes dresses sometimes doesn't in europe like i don't know if paul paul ck played with the harlequins a bit got injured you know if he's not dressing every week or, you know, when he is dressing, he gets a few minutes off the bench. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's better for him because he's in a better training environment, but he's also losing 16 games of, you know, being a star here in MLR. So I think there, there is something to be said for uh, playing. I, I, so when it, when it comes to some of these guys, uh, you know, Joe doesn't play every day. Like he, well, he plays once a week. I just wish it was in the premiership and not yeah. the A-League. I, I, he plays at least once a week. I wish it was in the premiership and not the A-League. So he still plays and at a high level of competition. Uh, TD is basically becoming the starting tight head for Saracens, so that's going to be good for him. Uh, David Ayunu, I don't think it matters. I think the level of competition he got this year because he's in – so you don't really see it because it's all in French – it's all in French. So they basically have the all of the top 14 and pro to de, uh, they have an academy system 
where there's uh, it's called the Espoir League, um, which is like student and uh, which Espoir is like student. That's basically the word. And uh, so it's a U23 league, all academy players, and they play that. And he he played, you know, a bunch of games in that, in addition to playing in the top 14 for a game and, and playing uh, a whole half in the Champions Cup. Um, so he is getting high-quality match time. But there are some guys who, I, I, like when Bowman was at Leicester, he never played. Like he played two, I think he played two fixtures. Um yeah. Like he never played. That's a problem. Like when, if you're just going to go be a camp body somewhere, uh, it's probably not in your best interest, you know? Good yeah. question. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, all we got. I think we went a little over tonight. Um, I am flying back to Arizona uh, tonight. So uh, uh, Craig, uh, thanks for showing up. Uh, and grinding this one out with me. Uh, everyone, uh, if you like the show, um, please give us some likes on Facebook. Invite your friends to like the show on Facebook. If you like it normally in podcast form, um, please give us a review on iTunes. Helps people find us. Uh, there hasn't been a new review lately. Uh, thanks, Amy, uh, for listening in and, uh, you know, and everyone else who listened in, but Amy commented you know, on the show. Um, but if you if you like the show, please give us a li- uh, a rating on on iTunes, and we will of course read it out. Um, you can even call me some nasty names, and I might bleep them, but um, I'll, I'll read those out. So I'll read them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Craig. I'll see you next week. Take care. On our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby, its teams, or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. Liam Poach is employed by the New England Free Jacks. Their opinions are their own. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby.